Enjoy all your favorite sports like never before at BetMGM. Sign up using code CHAMPION and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. When you register with BetMGM, you'll get instant access to a variety of parlay selection features, live betting options, and the best daily promotions in the business. And with BetMGM at your fingertips, every play and every game matters more than ever. Remember to use code CHAMPION and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets If you don't win your first bet, place your money line, prop, or parlay bets with the king of sportsbooks today. BetMGM and GameSense remind you to play responsibly. See BetMGM.com for terms. 21 plus only. Virginia only. New customer offer subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Promotion, promotional offer not available in Washington, D.C. At Parker, our purpose is simple. We want to make the world a better place. By working more efficiently. By using more sustainable practices. By developing better technologies. We keep moving forward. With each new idea, innovation, and partnership, we're one step closer to fulfilling our purpose every single day. To find out more, visit parker.com slash purpose. Parker, engineering your success. Cruz gets a curveball and flies one deep to right. Back goes McNeil onto the warning track. Right at the fence, and he made the catch! Right at the orange line! McNeil! Come with two strikes. That's lofted down the line. They've got another. It's a home run! Over the mound, tough play. Who's going to get it? McNeil with the bare head. One hopper grab by Alonzo. They get him! Gets under this one along the left field line. Overcomes McNeil near the sidewall, leaping to make the catch. That's up two to one as they come to bat in the fifth. McNeil trying to drag a bunt. It stays fair. Freed with the glove flip, not in time. And a liner that will be caught. McNeil rifles this one down the line. He watches it go. That's a big fly for Jeff McNeil. And McNeil slaps one, but it's right at Suarez. And it's and he beats it out. How about that? One, two coming. And he throws him an off-speed pitch, and McNeil rolls it in. Odorizzi lost control of it, and McNeil falls into first base. And a 2-2 count, and Swanson lifts one to shallow right. Tough play. Alonzo, McNeil, Jeff, Bleach oh. makes the catch. The Mets signing Jeff McNeil to a four-year deal for right around $50 million is a deal that I absolutely love. I love it from the Mets' perspective because it's hard to find players who put the ball in play and make solid contact the way McNeil does. He's in the top five when it comes to the strikeout rate over the last two seasons. Also, his weighted runs created plus his 122, which matches up favorably with guys like Justin Turner, Max Muncie, Michael Brantley. And McNeil's only 31 years old, so he's still in his prime right now. Uh, you're going to get him for this year plus four more in a potential club option for a fifth year. And so it's in line with what those type of players get. He's a run manufacturer. He gets on base. He hits the, he, uh, hits the ball well the other way. And he has versatility in the field as well. He really settled in at second base. You, can, you know you can play him in left field. And so when you look at him as a table setter ahead of Francisco Lindor and Pete Alonso, this is a win for the Mets all the way around.
It's another edition of the Talking Mets podcast here on this Sunday, January the 29th, 2023. Of course, I'm your host, Mike Silver. You can check me out all the time at the TalkingMetsPodcast.com. Send me a tweet at Mike Silver Media. And you can show an Apple podcast, Spotify, pretty much whatever podcasting service you desire. If you want to interact with me, Mike Silver at TalkingMetsPodcast.com. No G, Mike Silver at TalkingMetsPodcast.com. And you can get me over on Instagram, Talking Mets, no G. And, of course, I want to welcome in the good folks from the fan-sided podcasting network, as well as RisingApple.com. Well, we've hit the doldrums part of the offseason. We're really putting the hot stove in the offseason in the back burner. Just a couple of weeks away from spring training, pitchers and catchers, NFL Championship Sunday. So this is more of a football Sunday where I come and I'm the one dope who wants to talk baseball, but I know that there's many of you that are like me. So here I am, and we're going to do something a little bit different here on the show is, you know, some of the feedback I had gotten over the holidays when I had put out a poll about, you know, what do you like about talking Mets? And I do like to get feedback from the fans. And, you know, the important thing about this show is I take the fans, you, the listener, you're the customer. I take it seriously because without you, there's no reason for me to do this. I'm not a guy that's going to go sit here and, and talk to myself. I can, I don't have to be, do all this work to do that. And the patronage of this show has been nothing short of outstanding. It continues to grow. So getting customer feedback is important. With that said, it's my show. And sometimes I take the feedback under advisement and I go and do my own thing anyway. And look, at the end of the day, the numbers are what they are and they'll dictate whether you guys enjoy it. The feedback, obviously, will dictate whether you guys enjoy it, and so far, that's been pretty good. Now, one thing that a lot of people said I should take as part of the sh- – incorporate, I should say, not take – incorporate into the show would be a mailbag, and I know some other podcasts do that, and the mailbags are tricky because you send them throughout the week. Things go stale. You know, the news – perfect examples today with Jeff McNeil is we had a mailbag question about uh, contract extensions for McNeil and Alonzo. You heard McNeil highlights coming in, so you have a pretty good idea how I'm going to start off here. But uh, So here's what I'm going to do. I, I got some great mailbag questions. I'm not going to use all of them today. I think some of them will be tabled for a future show uh, because there's some you know myriad of topics that we could get really deep into. But what I'm going to do is, instead of just having a mailbag segment, and I will take some on the way out on our final segment, I'm going to incorporate them throughout the show. So you tell me how I'm doing. You can give me feedback. You can let me know if I'm doing a good job with it because as I – you know, this show has always been two-pronged, me, my monologue, my opinion, and then there's a guest and an interaction. I mean those are the two things. The the calls – and we did them at one point. The calls uh, when we used to have the live blog talk radio feed, they some went well, some didn't. You always have the pranksters that ruin everything, and, and I'm not really in the mood for that. You know, I, I I want this to be a quality show. The whole crank calls, I think that kind of jumped the shark. But anyway, that's just me. I guess sometimes they could be funny. And then I've done like Google Voice and leaving messages. I've done a couple of iterations of this. And some of it worked out well. Some of it didn't. So I'm hoping that this works out better. So if you are listening and you want to get involved for a future show with a question as part of a mailbag, Mike Silvat, TalkingMetsPodcast.com. I do try to go through the Twitter feed, and I think I have maybe a Twitter, a couple of Twitter comments here, and grab from there. It's a lot easier if you do the mailbag and email me because Twitter gets you know cluttered a little bit. So away we go with this edition of the show. Now, I got to start off by getting something off my chest, and 
I'm not like really cranky about this, but it's starting to bother me because I think it's a bad look for the franchise. Uh, I don't think it helps, and we'll talk about it later in the show about, look, there's a bullseye on this franchise's back. This is, although this is the Amazing Mets, and I know there's still a component of Laugh Out Loud Mets and the Amazing the Believe and the underdog nature because, let's face it, money and the spending and the off-seasons that this team has had the last couple of years doesn't take away the fact they haven't won since 1986, and they've had a tremendous amount of disappointing and gut-wrenching losses and disappointments on and off the field over the last oh, 30-some-what years that, you know, you would laugh saying that there's a bullseye on this team's back, but there is because of the owner and the money and the way they've muscled themselves into the the elite club, the 1% club that, you know, the league has. They could tolerate the Yankees, and I think they – they tolerated the Dodgers, but as this gr- – and the Red Sox to a certain degree, although you listen to John Henry, they sound awful lot like the Mets used to sound when it comes to certain things over there up there in Boston. And now the Mets, who are not supposed to add to that New York bully pulpit, so to speak, are in it. I don't think it sits well with a lot of people, and I think there's a lot of people waiting for them to fail. I think there are a lot of uh, media members that will come out with their knives if they fail. Uh, you know, As much as Steve Cohen is getting applauded – that could change overnight. So what's bothering me, really, before I get to Jeff McNeil and the extension and, and the kind of player McNeil is because I think he's really important to this club. I think it's really – and the fans, I guess, put them aside because they're going to do stuff like this. But I think it's really important if I'm Steve Cohen, if I'm Billy Epler, whoever these leaks are, if they're real, to have a conversation around the office and say, look – we need to stop invoking the name Otani. It's done. He's not part of the 2023 Mets. As, as of right now, we have no idea if he's even available on the, on the trade market. Probably not. I guess that remains to be seen. The price would be outstanding. Probably not worth trading for him. It'd probably have to deplete your farm system. And it's a bad look for this franchise. Just weeks away from pitchers and catchers. Weeks away from getting back on the horse and going after this goal, which is to win a championship, bringing a new group together, relatively the same group, but with some new faces and new challenges, to be focused on next year's free agency and this, you know, white well of Otani. Now, I know Manny Machado's name was thrown out there, and I chalked up some of this to maybe losing out on Correa that there was such excitement around the Correa signing and how the rug got pulled out from under everybody that I thought, okay, you know, it's natural for everybody to start looking for the next big thing because everybody loves hot stove. Everybody loves it to get juiced up about hot stove. But now we're like two, three weeks past all that, and I still see stuff out there about, well, sources say Steve Cohen's fully in- engaged on going after Atani, and there's polls out there, and, you know, who's the... And I know some of that has to do with Artie Moreno now not putting the team up for sale. But I got to tell you, it's very off-putting. And it's the kind of behavior that, let's face it, look in the mirror for a minute. It's the kind of behavior that used to tick you off as a Mets fan when the media would talk about the Yankees. It's no different. Like, let's, let's have an honest conversation here. It's no different than the ridiculous media mafia persona that the Yankees, uh, the Yankee beat and the media created 
back in the uh, late 90s, turn of the century, when it was like George Steinbrenner ordered his inner circle in Tampa to this steakhouse, whatever it was called, for a secret meeting. And it's like, what is this, you know, Tony Soprano? It was like always goofy, you know, it was always hyped up that way by the media. And maybe to a certain degree, some of it was true, but it was always embellished. And it was also comical. I mean, the Yankees became kind of, and, and to a certain degree to this day, are caricature themselves in some of this stuff. Things have changed quite a bit over there because they've gotten more normalized as the league is caught up. And now you see some of that goofy, boorish behavior being replicated across town with the Mets. It doesn't sit well. Now, what's funny is, you know, I sound a little like a hypocrite because just a few weeks ago when Correa was signed and you had the, the Novena crowd, I called them. Say, ah, I don't want to win this way. I want to win with a real team. I don't want to win with a stack team. Same people complaining about the offense. So, yeah, I mean, that's kind of crazy. But I, I, right now, my focus is away from hot stove. Looks like the Mets are not going to be getting in on any of these veterans. It looks like they're going to want to improve on the margins, on the very fringy margins for depth. That looks like where they're focused on. And the thought of an Otani or a Machado or any kind of significant acquisition which has to be via trade for the most part now, is just foolish. So to me, this has been bothering me. I know it's going to exist. I know it's going to annoy me for a good part of this year. I know that Otani is going to be a name that we're going to hear a lot of between now and his free agency and whenever he signs with the Mets or somebody else within the next calendar year, maybe into the following year if it happens in January or February of next year. But you get my point. And I just wanted to get that off my chest because it was bothering me. Now, to the news at hand. So not a big news time, but Mets made a little bit of news. And it was funny. I was going to tweet out when I saw Johnny Franco and McNeil at the Rangers game earlier in the week. I'm like, hmm, I know that McNeil was eligible for arbitration. You know, the team had exchanged figures here with McNeil. And uh, it looked like, you know, by all intent purposes, it was going to be an arbitration case. But when I heard that McNeil was in town, I'm like, well, either he signed a one-year deal or more likely they came to some kind of long-term agreement. And sure enough, they come to a very uh, reasonable deal for uh, the Mets, about $12.5 million, a four-year deal with a fifth-year option. McNeil is in his 30s. And you know a 50 to $60 million, maybe 65 depending on how this thing works out, deal for a player of McNeil's caliber is an outstanding deal. Again, something that bothers me a little bit is like how the fans are like, yay, he got underpaid. It's like... Uh, you know, yeah, he did. I think he could have maybe made a little bit more money. But again, it's the old, you know, bird in hand versus two in the bush. And it's a lot of money. And for a guy like McNeil, who's had some injuries uh, in his career, who for a lot of time, you know, a lot of doubt about who he would be. Keith Law was very hard on him uh, when he was talking about prospects just a few years ago, not thinking that McNeil was anything more than uh, he made it sound like he'd be a 4A filler or a backup. And having a down 2021, maybe the analytics got into his head a little bit. Sounds like that was the case. And to see that kind of contract in front of you, even though maybe it's an underpay, because let's face it, I mean, McNeil from a wins replacement, wins above replacement, win shares, was more valuable than Brandon Nimmo last year. And Brandon Nimmo got $20 million a year plus. I mean, Brandon Nimmo got... What, he got $25, $26 million a year. There is no reason why McNeil couldn't get the same amount. As a matter of fact... I know that, you know, it sounds crazy, but I think he could have got a four-year deal, maybe 125 or a five-year deal, $150 million if he got out onto the market a year from now. I know the age, but he's got positional versatility. 
plays at a high level at all the positions, has a good arm. In a lot of ways, when you hear about McNeil and, and why he's improved as a player, it reminds me, and I know you're going to go, up. Oh, here's Mike with his NBA, 90s NBA references again, but it's true. It reminds me a little bit of John Starks, a guy that came out of nowhere to a certain degree, maximized his talent, and with John, it was always pure instincts, pure athleticism, let him be himself. Now, sometimes that would drive you crazy. He would take a bad shot or you know do something. And not that McNeil is going around and butting Reggie Miller's head like John Starks. But with McNeil, the more you read about him, the worse 2021 and the overemphasis on video and heat maps and repertoire and all the things that kind of get in your head as an athlete and baseball player when you're – and I always say that that Luis Guillorme clip when he was on the on-deck circle and he was going through the iPad. And I'm like, that's probably not the place for an iPad, to be quite honest. I mean, how good is McNeil? I mean, look, he's top 15, 16 in the, league, in the, in the leagues, both leagues – and all of baseball in war is a top 10 player in the National League. In Mets history, he's top, well, he's almost top 15. He's going to probably uh, uh, pass a number of luminaries in the coming uh, year. Uh, here's a guy that, you know, if he stays healthy and he performs relatively close to what you've seen, and I think that's the question. You know, you have a lot of people say, well, he won the batting title. Maybe he was a little over-indexed because he hit so high with batting average on balls in play. And the shift is going away. Let me read you a little thing going into the season. And this is interesting because this is exactly how things worked out for McNeil. So I believe this is from MLB.com, from Baseball Savant, where um, I want to—it's—it's a—it's a screenshot. So I believe it's—it's it's Baseball Savant MLB.com article. But um, it says, and this is going into the 2022 season. So remember, he's coming off the down 2021. For McNeil, power is more of a question of extra bases than homers, but it looks like the lefty sprays the ball well and will be hard to defend. The rest of baseball cares to differ. McNeil is now being shifted twice as much as he was in 2018 and over 50% of the time in total. Third basemen are playing about six feet further from home plate and the shift more often, so they're taking away singles and sometimes doubles in short right. Left fielders are playing closer to the plate than ever and stealing more doubles. Here's something the projections won't capture. McNeil will either find a way to hit the hit his balls to new locations or, or he'll have to develop more over-the-fence power. But if he does neither, it's not likely to put up league average power and he might fall short of these projections. So a lot of people were bullish on Jeff McNeil. I've always been bullish on Jeff McNeil. I love the first half Jeff, Jeff McNeil in 2019. The second half Jeff McNeil that got Homer happy was still very productive and in a way, in totality, had the same type of production. But I was like, well, is he Dick? Is he Daniel Murphy? And that was the juiced ball, or supposedly juiced ball in 2019. And I don't think McNeil's a guy to the point of this preseason prognostication that will have over-the-fence power. And he did exactly what they said he had to do in this article going into the year. He found ways to hit the ball where they ain't. He found ways to make contact. And, you know, he's very hard on himself. He's a guy that gets in his head. I think the more information he gets, probably the worse it is. It looks like he's a guy that wants to go up there, knows how to hit, wants to see a good pitch to hit, and he wants to use his instincts to put the ball in play. Now, with the shift being taken away, will things be different? You know what? I just see McNeil as a guy that's going to look at the field, and even though there's no shift, guys, fielders forever, from the days of double day, are going to shade one way or the other 
I mean, it's not like they have to be in a spot. It's not like there's a chain. I know the shift has been taken away, but there's not a chain around their, their leg where they have to be right here. Um, so away we go. Great deal for the Mets. Glad that McNeil is part of this. And look, we are now in the midst of seeing, and I think that we take this for granted, the Mets have not been known for their offense throughout their history. They've been known for pitching. I mean, even up until recent years, DeGrom, Matt Harvey, Noah Syndergaard. I mean, even now on the free agent market, guys like Scherzer and Verlander, you know, Cy Young award winners. Offense has been harder to come by. Yes, there was Carter and Hernandez and Strawberry in the 80s, and we just recently were talking about Hojo. Uh, And then in the 90s, you did have that one year where Lance Johnson and Hunley and Gilkey had those big years. And, of course, who who could forget Piazza and and Olerud and Alfonso? But a lot of the offensive players have been fast and fleeting. There hasn't been consistency or they've acquired guys at the tail end of their careers here if they stay healthy and I know that's like against my credo for the foreseeable future you'll have McNeil you'll have uh, Nimmo obviously the Mets are going to be looking to sign Alonzo and that's going to be a lot harder I don't you know I I think the kind of contract that uh, McNeil signed which gave away some AAV for Security, very similar to what the Braves have done with their stars. A lot harder to do with an elite power hitter like Alonzo. Uh, a guy that's probably going to command what Correa got, 10 years and $350 million. Let's face it. He's probably looking at what Aaron Judge got. And as he develops, it continues to get better. And you heard a couple of weeks ago, I played that clip from Eric Chavez, the hitting coach, of how teams have said, hey, we, we can't figure out how to pitch this guy. This guy starts evolving into Paul Goldschmidt. He's going to cost a lot. And I think in that, I'll go to... That's our first mailbag question. You know, Michael Hirsch, our friend Michael Hirsch, he said, I enjoy your podcast immensely. He calls me a steady hand at the tiller. Thank you. I appreciate that. Although I get seasick, Michael. Uh, I wonder if you agree we should extend McNeil and Alonzo with the money we didn't spend on Correa. Obviously, McNeil, the answer was in front of us. The answer with Alonzo is yes. And it would be beautiful, Michael, and other Mets fans as you listen to this, to see this core of homegrown offensive players because as we've talked about there's not a lot of pitching on the way and pitching is so much more volatile like getting pitchers look at Harvey who would have thought you know that that all these years later it was DeGrom that got the big contract it was supposed to be Harvey Harvey was the guy who was supposed to get the big contract but if you could get Alonzo signed and I you know if you want to tell me that money they save with Correa give it to Alonzo yes give it to Alonzo 10 years 350 million you've got Alonzo you've got McNeil you know, maybe Beatty. Let's see what Beatty could could make of uh, himself as we get into spring training. Alvarez, either as a DH or a catcher. You have Nimmo out there. So you have, you know, a good five or six core offensive players that could make up a really, and, and to a certain degree, except for Alonzo, who's going to go out there and make a mint, hopefully assign him early, very affordable core because you have a lot of expensive players. You have Lindor. Um, on a long-term deal. You know, Nimmo is a long-term deal. I know the AAV is lower than what it would have been, um, but it's a long-term deal, and it's going to it's gonna cost them quite... It's locking them up for seven or eight years. So um, I think it's a smart move. I think the Mets are going to have to see what they have with these offensive players, and they're going to have to try to, at this point, now that Correa is not in the fold, uh, push as much as they can to give these guys every opportunity without harming their ability to compete in 2023 or in the near term um, for these guys to prove themselves that they are more than just a component player. They could be a very good, I'm not going to say they're all going to be all-stars, 
but maybe borderline all-star, very good, you know, very productive offensive players. For an offense that now has some variability, could use an injection of youth, and notice I left Vientos off of that because, you know, we'll get to him in a little later because I know there was a mailbag question about Vientos, but has some variability, variability that Correa took away that now with Correa not on the roster is, is exists. So uh, I think we should enjoy, you know, we have Alvarez, we have Beatty. Um, there's this kid Ramirez down lower levels of the minor leagues that potentially could be an interesting offensive player for center field or for the outfield. Uh, I think we take for granted how good guys like McNeil and Alonzo are. I mean, they basically carried this team in 2019, and now they've got some, you know, with Nimmo healthy, with Lindor in the lineup. You know, Escobar is a very good, uh, I would say, a component player, but a very good component player. You know, same thing for Mark Canna. Uh, Starling Marte is an all-star. You know, I know there's some debate on, you know, what kind of regression he'll see in 2023. Obviously, health plays into it with him. But I think we have some of the great offensive players in Mets history right in front of us. And I'll tell you what, McNeil, not just because of the batting title, but the way that he is versatile, the way he approaches the game. Uh, you know, he's a guy that's a grinder. He's a guy, I think he called himself with his college team dirt balls. You need those kind of guys on the roster. And not just that emotional type of guy that's off the bench and a defensive fourth outfielder. I'm talking about a guy that's a, a big-time contributor, an all-star, uh, you know, somebody that uh, is going to go down if he stays healthy and continues to produce. He's going to be a top-10 offensive player in Mets history, and he's going to be up there as one of the better offensive players in Mets history. And with the versatility, it's going to add a whole new dimension. So we kicked off our mailbag. We talk a little bit about McNeil. When we come back, there's more. With pitchers and catchers two weeks away, we have to start looking at the challenges ahead. And the Mets have a couple of challenges off the bat. Before a pitch, a bullpen session is thrown, before a spring training pitch is thrown, Mets have a couple of big challenges. One that's existed all the way back to last year, and I'll have one of the guys on the team tell you about it. You'll hear that clip on the way out of here. Um, And another thing which might surprise you. So let's take a quick break. When we come back, what are the first challenges of the spring that Buck Showalter will face with the 2023 Mets as they look to repeat or come close to their 100-win season, get back on the horse, try to win this division, try to get into the postseason with huge expectations after uh, a whirlwind of an offseason. A lot of good, capped off by the McNeil contract, some disappointment, DeGrom, Correa, but in the end, a team that looks to be as good as last year, but faces some very interesting uh, challenges right off the bat. We'll talk about that and more right after this. Mets fans, I want to take a quick break from talking baseball and let you know about the next top prospect in building a smart home. Eufy Video Smart Lock E330 is that big time new star prospect. The Eufy Video Smart Lock E330 is a smart lock, a 2K resolution camera, and a doorbell. It's three devices in one, triple the security. You know triples are rare in baseball, but not with Eufy. You can have everything in one device rather than install many pieces on your front door. It's not just for security, but also for convenience. Just the other night, I had tons of packages in the rain. Rather than fumble for my keys, I easily entered my home. This is big since I have four dogs who are impatiently waiting for me at the door. No more concerns about losing keys, and you could assign passwords to your family members. Worried about when your loved ones are getting home? Eufy allows you to see them coming back home via the integrated camera. Hey Mets fans, this is a home run. 
I had a competitive product before Eufy, and it's the difference between a one-dimensional hitter and a five-tool player. Eufy is that five-tool superstar. Go to eufy.com, that's E-U-F-Y.com to learn more. Already sold? Go to Amazon and get your Eufy Video Smart Lock E330 today. Want to go to the store? Best Buy will have it starting around May 20th. Get complete control over your front door at ease with the Eufy Video Smart Lock E330 today. Enjoy all your favorite sports like never before at BetMGM. Sign up using code CHAMPION and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. When you register with BetMGM, you'll get instant access to a variety of parlay selection features, live betting options, and the best daily promotions in the business. And with BetMGM at your fingertips, every play and every game matters more than ever. Remember to use code CHAMPION and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet, place your money line, prop, or parlay bets with the king of sportsbooks today. BetMGM and GameSense remind you to play responsibly. See BetMGM.com for terms. 21 plus only. Virginia only. New customer offer subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Promotion, promotional offer not available in Washington, D.C. At Parker, our purpose is simple. We want to make the world a better place. By working more efficiently, by using more sustainable practices, by developing better technologies, we keep moving forward. With each new idea, innovation, and partnership, we're one step closer to fulfilling our purpose every single day. To find out more, visit parker.com purpose. Parker, engineering your success. You know, I, now, you know, I'm, I'm obviously with the Mets now. This will be my second year, um, you know, being with the owner, Steve Cohen. And this guy is, he's putting money on the table. So when you talk about pressure to win, that's pressure. Like, we, feel, we felt the pressure last year. We signed a, tons of free agents. We signed Max to that big contract. And you look at what he's doing this offseason. I'm, I'm very thankful to, to be with an owner who – it does not have financial constraints. Um, but when you talk about pressure to perform and do something like this is, you know, what we did with the A's, it was kind of like, well, let's just go play ball and have fun. We, there's really no expectations. You know, if we, if we lose 90 games, it's not a big deal. Mets bench coach, former hitting coach, now the bench coach, Eric Chavez. And by the way, if you listen to the Nets from the Boone podcast, Eric was on with Brett Boone back, oh, I think about December. Great segment, really. If you haven't listened, check it out. It doesn't just talk about the Moneyball A's, but really talks about his hitting philosophy and uh, talks a little bit about Pete Alonzo. Like I said, you heard a clip from that a couple of weeks ago, and uh, you just heard him talk about the pressure that uh, comes with having an owner like Steve Cohen that really spares no expense. And I think the there's two big challenges, I think, that this team is going to face off the bat. And if I know Buck Showalter, who's already, I mean, look at the, the kind of manager you have in Buck. I know you're tired of hearing it, manager of the year. I think they just presented him with the actual trophy at the, uh, the Baseball Writers Association dinner just last night. But here's a guy that's looking at Kodai Singa trying to figure out where the interpreter should be. 
Should he be in the locker room with Kodai Singer? Does he move the coach's room a little bit closer so he has his interpreter close to him? He's trying to take a guy that's thousands of miles away from his home into a new culture, uncomfortable culture, big expectations, big pressure, and already trying to figure out how Kodai Singa can you know, be comfortable. And then he also thinks about, well, if I put the interpreter in the room with the guys, that's their clubhouse, what kind of message does that send really having a coach in the locker room? This was something that was talked about. I believe it was Mike Puma who wrote about it in the New York Post. I mean, this is the kind of high-level thinking you get from the manager's office from Buck. You haven't gotten that in years. I mean, really. You know, this this goes to show you, you can't just put some any person in there. You can't just throw Mike Silva in the, the locker room like a stratomatic manager. Oh, well, you know, I'm just going to hand the lineup card in and make sure everybody behaves themselves. It's so much more than that. And you got to think that if I'm worried about the expectations, the pressure that come with the payroll and the money, and the fact that you have guys now, Edwin Diaz, Brandon Nimmo, Jeff McNeil, you got Pete Alonso starting to eye making big money in free agency. Um, you know, Eduardo Escobar uh, has a team option. He's a guy that was out the door, maybe. You know, he's he's the old seconds. You know, he's the guy that he's the guy on the menu when they were out of the Kobe steak and you had to settle for the regular filet mignon. He's the filet mignon, or maybe you disagree. Maybe he's a ribeye. I guess. You know how 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 does he take that when it comes down to it? Um, and so on and so forth. You know, Lindor, another guy, you know, he's already been through the mill with the money and the New York adjustment. You know, maybe it's not as big a deal now that he's gone through the gauntlet, but, you know, that still exists. There's a lot expected of him. And if you looked at the numbers, when Pete Alonso and Lindor hit and hit at a high level, this team and this offense works and this team wins. And when he doesn't, they struggle. It's as simple as that. So now a guy like Diaz really can't regress back to being anything and look, it's unfair. It's no different than when we talked about Jacob DeGrom having that near-perfect season. And I even talked about this with Alonzo and DeGrom when DeGrom won his Cy Young Award and then Pete came on the scene and won Rookie of the Year. And then the pandemic kind of changed things a little bit because you looked at that season a little bit differently. You gave him a kind of, it's, it looked like it's like a Cliff Notes season. And you know, when you set a bar, it's hard not you can't always be perfect. I mean, it'd be really hard to see Diaz have the same type of season. I mean, you think they're going to go through another season where they don't lose a game where he blows a save like this year? I mean, the Mets hardly lost when they led after eight innings. They hardly. I mean, that's. I mean, the Braves lost about seven or eight times. Remember we did that whole Mets math back at the end of the year? It's crazy when you think about it. And, and now he's well paid. And if he gets off to a rough start, maybe blows a save on opening day at City Field, or out of his first four saves, he blows, you know, one or two, you know, and, and you start to hear the boos or maybe, hey, you're overpaid, you one-hit wonder. McNeil gets off to a, a slow start, looks a little bit like the 2021 McNeil. Maybe Nimmo struggles or has a few aches and pains. You know, now he's got this big contract. I mean, there's a lot of things at play where psychologically these guys, now that they're paid, and sometimes I will say, it's easier to do the work and achieve to get paid than it is to stay at the level you have and prove the contract. I mean, it's almost like the work you do to get to the big leagues, it's harder to stay there than it was to get there, which is crazy to think. So you have now these highly paid players that have earned contracts, have been given contracts, and, and now they're established. And now it's like, hey, you've got to prove that you're worth that contract. Not to mention the fact that they have an owner that, likes to be out there, 
that is the richest owner in the sport, has ruffled a lot of feathers in the old boys club. A team that has, with with tax, what, $450, 460000000 million payroll. If you want to take the tax out, it's like 350 360 Would have had more if Correa's contract had gone in. Already talking about going out and stealing Otani and someone else's player. I mean, it's like you're in this relationship and you're looking at you know, the next person. And how does that make the person in this relationship feel? How does it make Vogelback feel? How does it make Ruff feel? Like, think about the guys on the roster now and they hear, well, Otani, 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 Otani. Put so much pressure on them. Now, you could say, well, that's how it was with the Yankees and that's how it was with George. And, and look, that's all true. But not all the stuff that George did and the culture that George created, the schizophrenic at times, emotional culture that he created was positive. It was... Positive when he was suspended and they were able to stabilize it. And then he came back and enhanced it by getting it to the next level, by taking the brand and taking that powerful brand name and leveraging it so that they could be this wealthy team that could get whoever they want and they could go out and get a Jason Giambi. They could get a Roger Clemens. They can go get an A-Rod and, it, and they, could, they could add to already a stable foundation. And there were tough times, remember. With those expectations, you know, you look at those Yankee clubs – and with the expectations, especially after they set the bar with the four titles in five years, they had some teams post-01 that were probably better than the 2000 or two, or, uh, or 99 Yankee teams. Maybe even 98 on paper. But there were always the burden of expectations, people gunning for them, the small sample size syndrome with the, the playoffs, all those things. Mets are going to face all that. They are now a bit of a hunted team. Yes, Chavez is correct. They came into last year with pressure. Uh, you know, guy like Lindor had to prove himself. They had, you know, made uh, acquisitions. The owner clearly wants to win. Scherzer, guy like that coming in. You know, he didn't really have his New York baptism. He came in and was, other than injuries, was successful right away. Now it's going to be double because they're coming off a 100-win season. A lot of the things they achieved last year, which they were successful, and they jumped it from the start, they jumped it. And, yeah, the Braves caught up, and they had to battle there at the end, and they ultimately fell short of the division. But because they got off such a good start, because they, from the jump they were focused and they were, and they were uh, uh, you know, all rowing in the right direction, they all were pretty much the best version of what you could possibly have thought of themselves. You know, they had a pretty charmed season. I'm not going to say it was 06 charmed, but it was a charmed season. Those typically don't happen all the time. And let's face it, what are the odds they'll happen back-to-back? So expect some adversity, and I think the first thing is you may see, uh, you know, a Nimmo grip the bat a little tighter. You know, how does Diaz take the success he's had, and now with the expectations and the money, how does he handle that? How does he handle that first blown save at home, the gimme save? Now, he's been down the gauntlet before, so it's not like this will be new to him, but it is new to him when he's getting paid. Because it's not like you just do what you did last time. Ah, let's just run tender him. Ah, let's just trade him for a bag of balls. You can. He's making $20 million a year. You can't. So that's the first thing, and I think it'll be very interesting how Buck addresses the burden of expectations and the pressure. I'm sure he will. I doubt he will with the media and with us, but I'm sure he will. Uh, you know, this is going to be very, very interesting. The new rules. Buck has already got his quizzes out. He's already got, you know, the team, to a certain degree, getting ready. And I'll tie that into the real threat. Well, you're trying to learn about this new way of playing baseball, pitch clock, no shifts, can only throw over once. How is the new running game and stolen base going to play? 
you've got a bunch of Mets heading to different parts of the globe to play in the WBC. You've got Alonzo McNeil with Team USA. Nimmo apparently is going to play for Italy. Escobar is going to play for Venezuela. Lindor and Diaz for Puerto Rico. Even Mark Vientos, who probably would want to make the club, is going to be with Nicaragua. Now, you could say, well, they're going to be playing in high-leverage games, representing their country, which for some of these guys is a big deal. I mean, look, we all complain about the WBC, but in the moment when we start to see the passion, especially with the you know South American countries, sometimes we get caught up. I mean, that there's still been highlights being shown of David Wright's game-winning hit and the big home run David Wright had playing for Team USA and the WBC. I mean, Wright, in a way, who had gotten criticized for lack of clutch efforts during uh, the 08 Mets collapse, which is totally unfair because he was so good in 07, uh, was starting to shed his lack of clutch moniker with a big hit in the WBC, I think in uh, spring of 2009. And, and, and fans get into that. But the WBC is a distraction. You're not going to have your squad all together. Now it gives guys like Beatty and Alvarez some reps so that you can really see what they're made of. And I'm sure a veteran like Lindor and guys like Alonzo McNeil, I'm sure Buck is already talking to him say, hey, you need to incorporate this. Adam Adovino already said that he was uh, working on it throughout his offseason workouts about the pitch clock and the only being able to throw over once. So as the fact that they're veterans and professionals, I think makes a difference. But let's face it, the WBC is a threat. Are they ramping themselves up too much? Can they get hurt? You know, these are all legitimate concerns. Obviously, you'd love to have the WBC after the season's over, but, I mean, you'd have to play in some kind of bubble in a warm weather, and then you're competing with the NFL. And I think baseball knows that if it's going to market this game internationally or even into this country to get it more to where they'd like it to be, where it was at some point, you got to do it in the spring when there's no other real sports. Yeah, you got March Madness. That's a couple of weeks, a couple of days a week. It's not every night. There's no NFL. The NBA hasn't hit the, uh, the, uh, the playoffs yet. So there's really no other time to do it. So really, to me, that's, you know, these are very big obstacles and, and challenges. They're not insurmountable, but they're challenges early on. Things that I know Buck is going to be looking at, I'm looking at them. Now, um, Delinquent Dog, bringing up Vientos, who's playing for Team Nicaragua. Delinquent Dog, at Delinquent Dog, I think at Delinquent underscore Dog on Twitter, wrote to me a couple of days ago, what are the Mets doing with Vientos? If they are not keen on position, conventional DH future, are they going to shop him? Is the industry thought of him so low that the Mets can't get a return? Uh, good question, delinquent dog. And, you know, there was an article recently over at The Athletic which brought up, I think it was Will Salmon, the Mets beat reporter for The Athletic, which brought up Vientos. And, and here's what the reports are. The reports are they don't feel he could play third base, that he's too slow for third. They're working him out at first base. He can't play the outfield. The same speed issues you have at third are going to be enhanced in the outfield. So really, you have a guy that's a right-handed first baseman DH. Sounds like Darren Ruff. Now, Darren Ruff is more experienced. It's lefties. So my guess is this. At the very least, if Darren Ruff doesn't work out and continues to struggle, Vientos might be the platoon partner at some point this year for Vogelback. Who, by the way, has anyone seen the Vogelback Instagram? And I said this a couple of weeks back on, I think, when he was walking around the, the city during the, the Christmas holiday. He's lost some weight. So either he's getting, you know, his, his, his girlfriend or his wife, I don't know if they're married yet, says, hey, you got to get in shape for your wedding pictures. Well, Vogelback's serious about getting in shape because I think it will help him as a baseball player overall. I mean, there's a lot of ways, you know, not just because he could be somewhat 
mobile running around the bases. You don't have to, you know, it's not like lead, uh, not like cement blocks running around the bases, but could help him, you know, stay uh, fresh and healthy. And, and obviously the energy level will help him at the plate. Uh, you know, near term, I think that's something that, uh, you know, Vantos could be. Right-handed DH, you know, as you talked about, you're going after Otani. If Otani becomes part of the Mets' future, DH spot is locked up. Otani's a DH and a pitcher. That's all he's going to do. Uh, but we're not going to get into that because that's not reality. As far as value, I don't think a guy who pops home runs and plays first base in DH and is not a defensive player, essentially is a DH, don't know how much value they have on the market. Could you get a reliever out of them? Probably. Uh, I don't think you could get any kind of top prospect back. Uh, I think he could be part of a package, a larger package, but he can't center that package. Um, you know, maybe we're underselling Vientos in a certain way. He's been with the organization a long time. He clearly has power. You saw that at the end of the year uh, with that big home run against the A's. Um, but to me, he's the guy out of all the position players that, uh, you know, ultimately, you know, he feels like a guy that because he's just a DH, because it's it, 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 because of the guy who plays first base, I don't think he's ever really going to make it here. I think he's going to eventually probably be traded. Uh, you know, I wouldn't be surprised if it was a guy that eventually, because if they need a bullpen arm, he gets traded for like a bullpen arm down the stretch, you know, similar to what they did to acquire Darren Ruff or Michael Givens. Uh, and he maybe puts up some real good numbers and flourishes somewhere else, but I don't think it's going to be here. Now, I could be wrong. And look, you know, you also have Tommy Pham, but Tommy Pham to me could play the outfield, whereas would you waste him on a DH spot when you have a guy who could play the outfield and could do some other things? Vientos more than likely would be the guy to replace if Ruff struggles, replace Ruff at some point, assuming he hits and he shows something. Now, he's going to the WBC. I don't know if that's going to help you win a job in spring training with the Mets, but, you know, clearly he knows what he's doing there. So, you know, that's what we have as the challenges. It'll be really interesting. This spring is going to be fascinating. It's going to be, and it's it's a good thing that it's happening not with the lockout, not with Buck's first year, because that was a challenge already. So if there's anybody that could work through, I mean, Buck had to work through his first spring training being the lockout spring training, a truncated spring training. And look how they got out of the gate. This one is not the same, but comes with some challenges and a completely different game. And by the way, they're not even playing the new rules in the WBC. They're playing the old rules. So some of these guys are already going to get their, you know, they're going to still be playing on the old way. And then they're going to, on a snap, going to have to come back to Port St. Lucie depending how deep into this thing their team goes and have to play on their new set of rules. Oh, by the way, opening day is around the corner. So not going to be easy, but, you know, be that as it may. All right, let's take a quick break. When we come back, we're going to wrap up. We're going to talk a little bit about David Wright. His name came up. We're going to take a couple more mailbag questions. And I know if you, I didn't get into your mailbag, I have a ton. There's going to be more mailbags. And like I said, it's not because you put it, as long as it's time relevant. You send me a mailbag. I'm going to get to it one way or the other, and I'm going to be able to, like I said, I'm incorporating them within the show so that you know I read it, and you're actually helping build some content that you're interested in because as much as this is my show and I think I have a pulse of what's going on, obviously I'm not perfect. So this is good stuff. I hope you've been enjoying it. All right, let's take a quick break. Final segment, David Wright, more mailbags, wrapping up right after this. What's the easiest choice you can make? Window instead of middle seat? Picking a vendor who sends a great gift basket? Outsourcing business tasks you hate? What about selling with Shopify? 
Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage to the first real-life store stage, all the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage, Shopify is there to help you grow. Whether you're selling scented soap or offering outdoor outfits, Shopify helps you sell. Wherever and whatever you're selling, Shopify's got you covered. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash try. Go to shopify.com slash try now to grow your business, no matter what stage you're in. Shopify.com slash try. The Talking Mets podcast is available on many outlets, but the most popular is Apple Podcast. Hi, I'm Mike Silva, the host of the Talking Mets podcast, and I encourage you to leave a review about the program on Apple. Just rate it one to five stars, hopefully a five because why wouldn't you? And then if you have time, leave a review. It helps the podcast continue to grow and encourages others to take a listen. You can also email me at mikesilva at talkingmetspodcast.com. No G, talkingmetspodcast.com. Hope to hear from you soon and enjoy the rest of the show. One quick thing I was just thinking about, and we didn't talk about it yet. Did you guys all see the Mets commercial that I guess is going to play on the Super Bowl? So the Mets are taking out a Super Bowl ad. Now, I I guess you could say that's a bit of a medallion when you take out a Super Bowl ad. It's kind of like a big deal. A lot of eyeballs going to be on it. You don't have to take it out nationally. You could take it out in local markets, and I'm sure that's what the Mets are doing, is spending money in a market. They're not going to you know, advertise to somebody in Denver about Mets season tickets. But what was interesting is if you look at the fact that the Mets have felt compelled to take out an ad, means that maybe they're not completely happy about their season tickets uh, sales or their ticket sales. I know they got a bump from the Correa thing, and maybe they're a little concerned with post-Correa things going down the tubes, that that excitement might uh, uh, quell some of the additional uh, sales you get from season tickets when a big off-season move comes into play. If you remember when John Heyman initially interviewed Steve Cohen when he was out in Hawaii when he agreed in principle to the Correa deal, he mentioned hopefully the fans show up now that they have this exciting team. And I know that the Mets, attendance-wise, things weren't, you know, uh, and I'll bring it up here, uh, the Mets weren't... I would say they're probably a little disappointing attendance-wise. I mean, the Mets were sixth in the league, averaged about 33,000 a game behind San Diego, behind Atlanta, obviously behind the Yankees, the Cardinals, and the Dodgers. Uh, You know, not bad, but I'm sure that, you know, they probably expected a little bit more for a team that won 100 games. Now, I think there's a, and this was brought up at the end of the season, and and, and remember, when we left the regular season, when that final, actually, that final postseason game, when they got one hit, by Joe Musgrove, and the whole media narrative was trust. Can you guys be trusted that you let the fans down again? I haven't forgotten about that narrative with the media. I think that got put in the closet because of the wild off season they had. But remember, they're bringing back largely the same team, the same offense, and that could become a theme again. So that theme of trust between the fans and the team has not, in my opinion, been completely put to bed. Winning will do that. And winning now it goes back to the pressure component. I don't think just winning a division or making the playoffs and playing a competitive first-round series is going to be enough. 
It's just not. I was okay with that last year as they made their progression and development. I thought they had to put on a good showing in the postseason. I thought winning a division would have been enough. They certainly were disappointing the way they went out against San Diego, no doubt. That was a a series at home you would expect them to win, even though the Padres, as I had said, were no pushover. But I think that there is a certain arms-length nature to the fans and the team where I'll invest when you give me a reason to invest. And it's almost like they have to win a championship for that to happen. Now, let's not discount inflation and the economy. And I think, look, we be got to be honest. There are a lot of everyday expenses that eat into the fact that families are not – even for – you know, you want to go sit in the 500s. I'm not going to judge anybody because, look – i rather watch the game from home than sit in some of the parts of City Field in the upper deck. I'm sorry. That's me. There are certain parts of City Field that I don't think are worth driving to the ballpark, spending money on parking, dealing with the hassle of in and out to go sit up there and basically see dots on a screen for the most part. Now, if you want to be there to be in the atmosphere and the excitement and enjoy a day out with friends or family, uh, that's fine. There's nothing wrong with that. I just don't think that that's worth it. I think I'd rather watch it at home, enjoy the booth. That's me. I also need some of the nuance of the booth and of the internet, I think, to do this show. So when I go to a game, I try to make it an event, get some nice seats. You know, my wife and I enjoy the Hyundai Club, and away you go. That's me. But I only go to one or two games a year. And I'm not doing any press. Like, I I don't, it's not what I need for this show. Um, I don't push for that. It's not worth it to me. Um, I'm not, if you're not going to be there developing a relationship day in and day out as a press member, Floating in and floating out twice a year will do you no good. Trust me, I've I've done that. I know I know that game. So the point is, it's interesting how the Mets are marketing their tickets. Is it a sign of things not being healthy on the ticket side? Let's not jump to that conclusion. Is it something exciting where they maybe got a good deal and they want to, you know, in a way, stick it to the Yankees? Like, hey, we're going to be the team of New York, maybe, but. Definitely something to look at, uh, out for. And with averaging about 33000 a game, and, and let's not, you know, it was early in the year. Last year, COVID was still kind of a thing, so maybe that played into it. Maybe that's less of a thing going into 2023. There's a lot of reasons why attendance was what it was. And the fans did show up late in the year uh, for the postseason. I thought the attendance was light as they went down the stretch of the wild card. But part of that, I think, the division is the cushion of the wild card didn't create the sense of urgency in the fans where there wouldn't be postseason. I mean, that's the trade-off when you have expanded playoffs. I'm sorry, that's just part of it. But anyway, that's just you know some thoughts there. I wanted to bring that up. Uh, and it ties into the pressure, man. It ties into you know expectations. And, and maybe this fan base needs to see something before they jump up and you know start supporting them the way the Yankees, who have this, you want to say, trust or equity built up with their fans because of the success they've had. I know they haven't won a title in, what, 13, 14 years, but they still have had a lot of moments and they've had success. So when you have those, you know, over a 30-year period when you've won those titles that they've won and you've had the postseason experiences and and moments even in losing postseason efforts, you build up equity that helps you get attendance, even if it's on the fringes and on the casual baseball fan that, you know, normally will only go if this team is sexy, so to speak. I don't know if I'm using the right terminology, but that's how I'm trying to get my point across. Now, uh, Hall of Fame vote, one last thing. So congratulations, Scott Rowland. Good job there. It went down. I, guys, I, I hate to pat myself on the back, but I predicted it. Rowland would get in. Helton would fall just short. Andrew Jones and Billy Wagner are trending in the right direction. Uh, I still don't think Helton, Billy Wagner, or Andrew Jones is a Hall of Famer. And uh, it'd be interesting with... 
lighter Hall of Fame ballots. You know, with the 10 slots, guys like that may get more support. I think Helton needs another 11 votes. I do hope that the writers, whoever uh, switches vote, does it for the right reason. But what I hope with the Hall of Fame is that you don't see a guy get close and just say, ah, screw it, I'll just vote him. You know, he's close enough. Let me put it in. You know, stick to principles of your vote, even if it's not the logic that I agree with, if it's more of an eye test or a morality uh, ballot. You know, I don't agree with that, but that's your ballot. Stick to your principles of whatever they are, and don't just do like a sympathy vote, I'll call it, where he's close enough, let me put him in. Now, I'm not going to get deep into next year's ballot because we'll do that next January, but Jose Reyes and David Wright are going to be on the ballot. I'm not even going to talk about Reyes today because I start to see people talk about David Wright, and nothing would have made me happier than to come to you today and say, David Wright has retired five years. He is the best all-time Mets player. He is a first ballot Hall of Famer, very similar to what I thought Mike Piazza was, and we'll probably be celebrating him in Cooperstown sometime in 2024. That's not going to happen. David Wright had a really good run from 2004, 2005, to about, I'd say, definitely 08, tapered off 09, 10. Maybe you want to say 2010, 2011-ish. He started to become very good. You know, really, David Wright's elite years were 5, 6, 7, and 8. And 6 and 7 in particular were elite years as a third baseman. Uh, I know some people are starting to try to find ways, you know, with a 7-year. You know, the big thing now at Hall of Fame is it's not a 10-year dominant period. They're trying to get a 7-year period to justify putting somebody in. Whether you want to say right in totality or a seven-year period, war, counting numbers, whatever, if you think David Wright's a Hall of Famer, then essentially here are the players you're saying are Hall of Famers. Guys like Sal Bando, just passed away, may he rest in peace. Kenny Boyer, Buddy Bell, Robin Ventura, Ron Say. Hey, guy across town, Josh Donaldson, very similar numbers. Matt Williams, I'm just throwing names out there, guys that mainly contemporaries that you probably have some experience watching or know about. Those are not Hall of Famers. Those are Hall of Very Good. And I know some people felt that Scott Rowland fell into that, but that's just not true. Scott Rowland meets the bar. Now, the one interesting thing that comes out of Rowland making the Hall of Fame is Greg Nettles, who was kind of close, just short. See, to me, I think when you look at the Hall of Famers, the Santos, the Brooks Robinsons, the Chipper Jones, there's clearly the elite, the Schmidt, the Matthews, the Wade Boggs, the George Bretts, the Chipper Jones. If you want a small hall, you stop there. If you want a reasonable Hall of Fame, you go from the Brooks Robinsons to the Scott Rollins. But I think now Scott Rollins kind of the bar. Like, if you're not Scott Rowland, you're not getting in as a third baseman, in my opinion. That's the bar. That's the minimum you got to be. And I'm sorry, he just did not have enough time David Wright. You know, Scott Rowland played at a high level till his mid-30s. David Wright did not. His career was over. And it's painful to say, and I know it stinks, and quite honestly, um, I wish I could tell you otherwise. Should his number be retired? Uh, I'm guessing that's something that maybe in 2024 they do. They're doing the Met Hall of Fame this year. I don't think they want to retire numbers every year. Maybe that's something they do in 2024 as a way to soften, you know, the, you know, kind of a Greek tragedy career in some ways because a freak incident with the stenosis, with the back, you know, and things like that. But, um, you know, David Wright will go down right now as the best position player, best homegrown position player in Mets history. Could argue that Beltron was better, but we can, you know, we'll, that's not for today. And he'll probably be replaced by Pete Alonso one day. You know, Pete Alonso will probably 
take that mantle, assuming that he signs a long-term deal and stays. And I would think, knowing the owner, knowing how he's connected with his players, knowing how badly he wants to win and build his franchise, short of something wacky going on where Alonzo declines or really doesn't want to be here, or Cohen all of a sudden runs out of money, uh, I would expect Alonzo to sign long-term and to you know break a lot of records that right now Wright holds some, uh, of course, on that. So away we go. Before we wrap up, couple of mailbags. So now we'll just get to the regular mailbags. Uh, and I'll get, you know, if you mailbag me, I'm going to give your name. I hope you don't mind. And in the future, if you don't want me to give your name or any version of your name, you could either do a handle or, you know, say, hey, please don't say my name. I don't think it matters. It's nothing controversial being talked about. But uh, John Rakowski. Hi, Mike. Regarding the version of Meet the Mets you play on the podcast, do you know who the woman singer is and when it was recorded? Cordially, John Rakowski. John, ironically, is Bayside Queens and a little Mike Silva history. Not that you care, but I'll tell you. One of the you know early young Mike Silva, uh, I used to uh, do a, a, a bit of a door-to-door sales job in Bayside Queens back in uh, 2001. Uh, you know, was there for only five, six months before my life took me to Park Slope, Brooklyn, but uh, loved Bayside, Queens. Was thinking of moving there, actually, when I was in Bensonhurst and I was looking to move uh, to, you know, you know, kind of get out of your parents' house as a young person. Bayside was one of the places I really thought about moving. My life took me to Suffolk County, Long Island, and I've been there ever since. Long story, not for this podcast, but anyway, uh, Bayside, Queens, John. always had, I have a little affinity to Bayside, Queens. One of my more favorite parts of Queens, uh, Bell Boulevard, uh, great delis, by the way. Uh, great delis, uh, great sandwiches I'd had during that route run that summer of 2001 when I was uh, going door-to-door Bell Boulevard and various other uh, uh, you know convenience store haunts, for lack of a better word, in the Bayside area. Uh, so anyway, uh, there's actually been some criticism of my song choices. So if you listen to the show, what I've tried to do is put a past and present nature, future nature, like, you know, Mets history, current team, a little bit of honoring that. Now, coming in, I use the 70s Meet the Mets as kind of the intro, and on the outro, I use what WFAN growing up was the Meet the Mets version. Now, it's called Meet the Mets 1984. If you Google that on YouTube, you'll find it. As far as the woman who makes that, I don't know. I do know, and this is just simple research, uh, there was an article written uh, back in 2015 when the Mets were in the World Series uh, over at ESPN. And they talked about Ruth Roberts, who actually penned the song, but uh, her collaborator, Bill Katz, who had a l- apparently had a bigger name, and the Mets credited him on the front, uh, was the one who got credit for it. I guess she recorded other songs, includes A Beautiful Day for a Ball Game. No idea who these people are. I don't know, and I couldn't find who the woman who sang... And I don't think it's Ruth Roberts who sang the Meet the Mets 1984 version. Now, the instrumental on that is what you would hear uh, Mets Extra in the 80s. So, you know, a lot of what – and people say, oh, I hate your song. It makes me cringe. The 70s, you know, modernize it. But, you know, to me, what do you – first of all, I got to be true to who I am. And, you know, what am I going to come in with a hip-hop song? Do I look like a guy if there was a Mets hip-hop song, if I came with that – Someone built something like that. Do I, does that look authentic to you? Does that, does that scream Mike Silva? Honestly, if it does, tell me, because you must obviously know something about myself that I, that I don't. And I'm not knocking hip-hop. I'm just saying it's not me. I got to be this. The, the reason this show works is I am who I am, good, bad, indifferent, 
And if you like me, great. If you're indifferent about me, great. And if you hate me, great. Just listen. I'm not going to criticize you because, you know, I'm not everybody's cup of tea. I get it. My, you know, I'm in my 40s. I'm probably going to skew a little older. Anybody who was born in 2000 or 99 may not be as much, although I think that that's a little bit of an unfair knock that I get, and I think we have more of those individuals listening. Uh, another story for another day why I think that's the case. I think that's a narrative to to hurt the show. I mean there's a lot of people who get jealous of competitive shows and try to hurt the show by putting labels on them, but that's another thing for another day. So, John, that's my, what I know about Meet the Mets, but the reason I picked the Meet the Mets 1984 to the outros reminds me of growing up listening to Mets Extra. The 70s version, I just thought it was kind of corny and interesting to mix it up and it, it it ties to the roots of a lot of listeners of the show you know maybe i could do something more modern incorporated somewhere in between i could look into that i've thought about sprucing up the intro at one point when we were affiliated with mesmerized online i had built an intro that had um i think the let's go mets go let's get mesmerized theme but that's their thing so i don't use that anymore um and it got boring listening to the same highlights coming in here, it's just a song. So, uh, you know, maybe maybe it's something to look at. But, John, thank you for the question. I appreciate it. What else do we have here in the mailbag? Um, Kevin Spatcher. Kevin actually brings up a non-Mets. And I hope I said your name right, Kevin. And he brought this up even before I was doing the uh, the mailbag. Hi, Mike. I know it's not just a Mets issue. But since it looks like uh, automatic strike zone is coming to MLB, maybe as soon as 2024, would you consider talking about it and its impact on the game? Love the podcast. Well, thank you, Kevin. I uh, hate it. Uh, here's what I'm going to say about instant replay and things. Like, I look at the NBA and I watch an NBA game, and, and instant replay impacts it, but I don't think it overwhelms it to the degree that it does in baseball. And I feel there's too much in baseball. I feel there's like nothing pisses me off more than a big double play. Like, oh, hold up, hold up, and like. I never thought the point of replay was to see that the foot was a micro inch off the off the base because to me that's a that's where human element comes into play. I think it was meant for the obvious call. And that's why I'm an advocate for less challenges. Yes, for less challenges. Use your challenge strategically. Make it count when you really need it. And I would be all for one challenge a game and that's it. You use it, you lose it, win or lose, successful or failure. Because I think there's a certain level of human element that we're losing for perfection, and I think it takes away from the fun of the game. And to me, I'll, here's what I'll say about automatic strike zone. I, you know, it was, I heard all sorts of horror stories, and Kevin Kernan of Ball Nine, our friend Kevin Kernan, probably would be the best guy to talk about this. But I think the Atlantic League had it. I look at it, if, if, if the automatic strike zone is going to be like Siri. So here you are, you use Siri. And you say, you know... Get me the number for Joe's Deli, and it gives you a number for like, you know, Chinese food restaurant because it doesn't understand because of my accent. Or when you're trying to use the Siri in the car for directions, it 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 doesn't understand you. I'm sorry, I can't understand you. Say it again, and it puts you in a totally different place. I almost feel like that's what's going to happen with the automatic strike zone, where it's going to glitch on us, and we're going to get some weird strike calls in big spots. And there'll be no human element to override it. And it's like, okay, so you're just going to have an umpire stand there behind the plate and s- repeat whatever the computer says. Like, are we at a point where we can't train umpires to be better than that? Like, I feel technology and the hot sp- zones and all the things that come with technology, the accountability of the umpire, knowing that they can be judged 
will improve them, albeit they'll be a human element. There is, a, and I always forget this website, there is a website that scores the umpires, and I mean, they're still pretty high level. I mean, they miss a lot of calls at first that I'm like, hey, you know, is the game becoming rather fast with the speed of sound and sight, where I could understand maybe them botching, which appears to be easy, safer out calls. That's another debate. But, you know, I, I, I almost feel like we're taking it too far. I am not in favor of it. I think I'm in the minority of that. I think that under Rob Manfred, they're looking for perfection. They're looking for the cleanest game possible. I think taking away the human element is going to bring up a host of other issues. And I think, you know, look, you better make sure that technology is ready to rock and roll and it's a clean strike zone. Look, the strike zone has been a controversial thing for many, many years. I was watching some replays of Rick Reed's start the other day, some Rick Reed highlights. And I've seen this a lot with the 90 strike zone. It, it, it's amazing because it's like I watch games in the 90s and I forget the strike zone. Man, they got a lot of liberties with the corner. It was an east-west, not a north-south game. Now it's more of a, a north-south game with the strike zone. So the way the game was, wasn't right. Maybe because of some of the liberties and some of the arrogance of the umpires where I had their strike zone and they wanted a, you know, Eric Gregg with LeVon Hernandez. Maybe we because of that, because it went too far, because there was no accountability and there was a certain hubris by the umpires that the league allowed until they reined it in with Questech. Maybe that's why we're where we are today. But I have to think that if we could use technology to promote accountability in umpires, then that to me would be a good use of the automatic strike zone, not to be the arbiter end all be all. So to me, that's where I would go. Um, and then um, one last, qu- you know, I got one last mailbag from our friend Peter, Peter Williams, who basically, and I'll, I'll, I'll paraphrase it here, but Peter listened to my Trevor Bauer episode, and I brought up about not going to ball games, and Peter basically tells me on this mailbag that he would still root for the Mets, but he would not go to games and not support the team financially. I respect a ton out of that. You know, you are putting your money where your mouth is. You know, you're kind of half measuring it by saying, I hate Bauer. I hate what he stands for. I'm not going to support the team by going to the ballpark, but I still will watch him, which is still kind of supporting the team when you watch them because you're patronizing the commercials, the ratings. But look, I've always told people, the only way you change something in this world is you drain the finances. And you do that with your pocketbook as a consumer. Things change because of money. You like it, not like it, it's the way the world is. <laughs> it's been like that since the dawn of time, probably way before you or I were even thought of. Um, you really want to stand for something, you just don't support it. That means everything. And, I, and, and, and I'm not criticizing Peter at all. He, his position is one that I think a lot of fans would take. It's a half-measure position. It's a position that I've probably taken in my life on certain things. It's hard to go dark on something that you love. I mean, there's so much crap you got to go through in life. Why bring the crap to your enjoyment, to your playground, to your basically your adult, your, your, your adult toy chest? That's what baseball it is. That's what we do here. It's our adult toy chest. So, you know, that was our other mailbag. There is more. I know, you know, we have, I have more mailbags. I didn't get to all of them. I promise on the next episode we will. Uh, I don't think I'm going to take off for the Super Bowl. We'll see. I usually take off Super Bowl week. I know it's Championship Sunday, um, but we're going to go full steam ahead. We're two weeks before pitchers and catchers, before it really gets interesting, before the journey starts. And we're in that weird part of the offseason where it's really the offseason, but it's not anymore. We're kind of looking forward, not in the moment to a certain degree. But anyway, 
That's it. That's what I have for you guys. I hope you enjoyed this edition of the Talking Mets podcast. I hope you enjoyed how I incorporated the mailbags. There are more. If I didn't get to you, I apologize. I do have you in the queue because there's some great topics that deserve more than a few seconds of my thoughts on that were brought up on the uh, on the mailbag. Um, of course, you could check me out all the time at the TalkingMetsPodcast.com. Send me a tweet at Mike Silva Media, and you can show up on podcast, Spotify, pretty much whatever podcasting service you desire. If you want to interact with me, Mike Silva at TalkingMetsPodcast.com. No G. Mike Silva at TalkingMetsPodcast.com. You can also check me out on Instagram, TalkingMetsNoG. And of course, check out the good folks over at the Fan Sided Podcasting Network. I'm your host, Mike Silva. Enjoy the rest of your week. We'll be back with another Talking Mets podcast next week. Till then, take care, everybody. Enjoy all your favorite sports like never before at BetMGM. Sign up using code CHAMPION and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. When you register with BetMGM, you'll get instant access to a variety of parlay selection features, live betting options, and the best daily promotions in the business. And with BetMGM at your fingertips, every play and every game matters more than ever. Remember to use code CHAMPION and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if If you don't win your first bet, place your money line, prop, or parlay bets with the king of sportsbooks today. BetMGM and GameSense remind you to play responsibly. See BetMGM.com for terms. 21 plus only. Virginia only. New customer offer subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Promotional offer not available in Washington, D.C. At Parker, our purpose is simple. We want to make the world a better place. By working more efficiently. By using more sustainable practices. By developing better technologies. We keep moving forward. With each new idea, innovation, and partnership, we're one step closer to fulfilling our purpose every single day. To find out more, visit parker.com purpose. Parker, engineering your success.